What is up, everyone? My name is OJ Tucker, host of the OJ Tucker podcast, the only comedy tennis podcast that talks about a political and societal culture as a whole. My name is OJ Tucker, as the name would suggest. Happy Thursday. Hopefully, you guys are getting ready for your weekend, spending time with your family or friends, watching the beginning of the Shanghai Rolex Masters as well. There's a little bit of news that we can get into for today in terms of news outside of the tennis world. I do want to discuss RFK Jr. planning to announce his run for president under the independent banner. So obviously right now RFK Jr. is running under the Democratic Party, but because of shady practices by the DNC, as we all have come to expect based off what happened back in 2016 with Debbie Wasserman Schultz and Bernie Sanders and all that emails that were leaked from the DNC back in 2016 with John Podesta. Uh, There's a lot of shady business happening. And because of that, RFK Jr. is planning to run as an independent. I I do think that this is a great idea. Uh, I'll give you my overall thoughts as to why I do think that this is a great idea. And why I do think that this will affect Trump. Because a lot of the fans that are fans of RFK Jr. are also fans of Trump. And there is a very similar alliance between those two candidates, more so than, say, Biden and RFK Jr. So I do want to discuss all that uh, political random piece on it. So I'll I'll give you the political piece, uh, political piece that they uh, wrote down as well. Uh, I do also want to discuss in terms of news continuing within the political realm of things. I also want to discuss Kevin McCarthy being ousted as House Speaker. Uh, Kevin McCarthy was voted out of office yesterday on Tuesday, on October 3rd, uh, filming this the next day on October 4th. But he was ousted as Speaker. Eight Republicans decided to side with Democrats, 208 Democrats, uh, to vote no on Kevin McCarthy. Some of these people included Matt Gates. I think Nancy Mace was also included in that list as well. Um, but yeah, overall, there's a lot of dysfunction happening with the Republicans. I feel like there is a civil war happening within the Republican Party between the Freedom Caucus, the MAGA crew, and that of, say, establishment Republicans that sort of have a lot of power within the party, but not so much power because, as we've known, Kevin McCarthy has decided to vote, has been decided to be ousted as House Speaker. So I do want to discuss my overall thoughts on the Republicans. I do want to discuss my overall opinions on just how dysfunctional they are right now and why I think that in a lot of ways this is a bad look for them come the 2024 general election and why I do think that the House will then be controlled by the Democrats. And part of this is one of the reasons as to why the Republicans just aren't able to really succeed or do well. And this is coming from a guy that isn't even a Democrat, by the way. I'm not a Democrat. I'm not a Republican. But I do think that this is a horrible look for the Republicans. And I do think that this will end up biting them in the rear end when it's all said and done. But first, let's talk about some tennis news. So if you guys don't know, um, Yannick Sinner played against Daniel Medvedev today for the Beijing Open Final, the China Open Final, and beat Medvedev. Yannick Sinner beat Medvedev. 7-6, 7-2 was the tiebreaker for that first set. 7-6, 7-2 was the tiebreaker for that second set. So obviously, Yannick Sinner beats Daniel Medvedev. 7-6, 7-6, 7-2, 7-2 in both of those tiebreaker sets. Um, Overall, this was just a nice, well-played match by Yannick Sinner. Uh, somewhat by Daniel Medvedev. I think both of them did really well in terms of holding serve. None of them broke either serve. I mean, I, I would just say off the bat here, none of them broke either serve. And while watching this match, what I've come to expect and what I've come to realize is that when that does happen, when there's a lack of breaks that happen in the match, what that tells me is that the match was not that great. To begin with, I'm not saying that this match was horrendous, right? I was still I was still able to watch this match and give my notes and whatnot. But when you watch a match like of that caliber, where there's a lack of breaks happening, when there's a lack of seriousness being played when returning serve by both players, that is an issue. Obviously, both players did well in terms of holding serve, but that doesn't excuse them from for their lack of willingness to compete for returning serve and i felt like a lot of times within this match they're just going through the motions you know both of them were just holding serve until it was tiebreaker time 
And once it reached the tiebreakers, then they were like, okay, then I'll somewhat play somewhat seriously, which is not necessarily a good look. Um, again, I was still able to watch this match, and this was this was by no means a, a horrendous match. But I would be remiss if I didn't at least acknowledge that. So let's just get right into that first set. Obviously, both held so for the first six games of that set. Uh, first 12 games of that set, actually, by both players. Uh, backhand by Medvedev goes long as center holds first to make it one love. Great passing shot cross-court forehand by Medvedev to make it 15-0. Both these players had an abundance of passing shots. Uh, they were able to get to the net, and they were able to get certain, certain points at the net. But when it came to passing shots, this was just one of those matches where it, there was just an abundance of them. Uh, Medvedev holds to make it one all. Uh, return serve by Medvedev goes long as center holds to make it 2-1. Medvedev's serve gets him the game to make it 2 all. Sinner gets the hold by forcing Medvedev to hit a forehand at the baseline that goes straight to the net to make it 3-2. Just great awareness by both players in terms of holding serve, as well as having more pace and adding more pace to the ball to allow them to make unforced errors, uh, especially in that first set. Um, great swing volley, followed by a slice volley combo by Medvedev to make it 3 all. Uh, forehand down the line by Sinner makes it 4-3. Sinner's return serve stays in despite Medvedev having time to hit it back and uh, hit it back into the court to make it 15-40. Sinner leading, and that was a really interesting point because Medvedev was just watching the ball as he thought it was going out. You know, as soon as the ball hit, was in, Medvedev was like, "What just happened here?" Which I, honestly, I thought that was a very interesting sort of sequence of events that happened between Medvedev and Sinner, as Medvedev just watches the ball just gracefully just go in the confines of the court. I thought that was just a really great way of, of seeing it all. Um, where was I here? Uh, Medvedev's, yeah. Medvedev's ace gets him the hold to make it 4-all. Uh, Medvedev returns over goes wide as center holds to make it 5-4. Backhand by center goes long during intense rally as Medvedev holds to make it 5-all. Medvedev backhand goes long as center leads to make it 6-5 changeover. Return serve by center goes long as Medvedev holds to make it 6-0. So none of them broke serve in this first first set, neither in the second set. Um, and again, I, I sort of made my issues clear with that just a few minutes ago. Uh, so let's get into tiebreakers. So forehand by Medvedev is dead in the net as center goes up to make a one love. Double fall by Medvedev makes a two love. Medvedev forehand goes wide with center at the net to make a three love. Um, center serve is unreturned to make a four love. Volley by center makes a five love. So already, when you already are, are down five love, you're already setting yourself up for that second set. And it felt like with center, he was just so much more mentally and physically prepared than Medvedev when it came to tiebreakers. And that was evidenced by the fact that he was up five love and a tiebreaker at a final, right? So that's that's that proves it. Uh, huge first serve by Medvedev is too much for center as he gets on the board to make a 5-1. They change ends because after every six points, you have to change ends. Medvedev forehand hits the net and falls out of the court to make it 6-1. Um, center, sh- uh, let me go back. Um, center shot bounces off the net as Medvedev retrieves it near the net and gracefully brings it to the other side for a winner to make it 6-2, um, which... Uh, that that was a lot of things to say, but it was a pretty nice point. Pretty well-constructed point by Medvedev, and yeah, it was just great. Medvedev forehand hits the net as Sinner takes the first to make it 7-2. Overall, just a nicely well-played match, uh, played uh, set by Sinner. Obviously, nicely well-played match as well because he would end up winning, but overall, just a nicely well-played set by Sinner. Um, he did have a lot of unforced errors. I mean, both of them did have a lot of unforced errors. 14 unforced errors for Sinner, 17 for Medvedev. Uh, but in terms of unreturned serves, Medvedev ended up having more unreturned serves to make it 13 out of 37 serves that he had, whereas Sinner had 8. Uh, service points, 1, Sinner, 31, compared to Medvedev with 26. Um, overall... Medvedev was just not that great in terms of net points being won because for Sinner, he had 12 net points won compared to Medvedev, who only had three. So Sinner was able to get to the net more often than not than Medvedev, and that allowed him to really win that first set, as well as being able to hold serve and set the momentum up straight 
for that tiebreaker in the first set. I think those are the main reasons as to what allowed Sinner to win that first set against Medvedev was just his ability to get to the net, be able to set momentum up straight for that tiebreaker, and just hit some great serves that ultimately allowed Sinner to go up. And when I say serves, I mean like holding serves. I don't mean, because obviously Medvedev, in terms of having unreturned serves, had more than Sinner. But in terms of being able to hold serve, I thought that was that was the main difference between the two. So anyways, first set goes to Sinner. Uh, second set, let's get right into the second set. So second set was more or less the same as that first set. Similar, same exact results, same exact finish. Um, just basically a carbon copy of that first set. So let's get into that second set, shall we? Great forehand down the line, clean winner by Medvedev to make a 30 love. Again, again, Medvedev did really good in terms of baseline play, right? In terms of being a counterpuncher, he brought it. In terms of having a dynamic style of play, in terms of having several winners from not only from the baseline, but also from the net, and, and you're, you're really having a variation in his shot, shot selection, that wasn't necessarily the case. But in terms of the baseline, he played really well in terms of the baseline. Uh, return serve by center is dead of the net as Medvedev holds on love to make a one love. Center volley lets him hold to on love to make a one, one all. Horrific smash by Medvedev allows center to capitalize as he hits a backhand passing shot. That was horrendous by Medvedev. Like just straight to center. Center had no other option but to hit a backhand passing shot clean winner to make it 1540 obviously Medvedev would end up winning uh would end up winning that you know game but again it was just one of those things where you saw that happen in real time you're like oh my god that's one of the reasons as to why Medvedev ended up losing was because of those simple simple mistakes that should not have been made in the first place so yeah overall uh not a good look for Medvedev in that in that point uh, great first serve by Medvedev as he comes back from 540 to hold 2-1. Obviously, as I've said before, able to come back from 540, come back to make it 2-1. Uh, ground stroke by Medvedev goes long as center holds on love to make it 2-all. Medvedev ace lets him hold on love to make a 3-2 changeover. Center's ace makes a 3-all as he holds on love. Servant smash by Medvedev makes a 4-3 changeover. And again, they're just going through the motions of it all. You know, As I mentioned before, they didn't really make it that much of a concerted effort to return serve and it's quite evidenced by that second set uh again i think that is an issue but again it's an atp 500 event i've come to expect that when it comes to these sort of smaller tournaments uh, is that they sort of do borrow page off of the nba and do sort of focus on load management and whatnot and you sort of see that from Djokovic as well because of the fact that he doesn't really play these events at all anymore so overall I can't really blame these athletes because they are focusing on other things, but still, I would like to see them return serve. Um, where was I here? Uh, center ace makes a 3-all as he holds on love. Servant smash by Mebeda makes a 4-3 changeover. Off-balance smash by center is dead the net at the, as, is dead of the net to make a 40-30. And when he saw that off-balance smash, as soon as you saw him go off of his back heel to get that smash, you're like, oh my god, is this happening now? Like, is, is this where the tides are turning for Medvedev because when I saw that I was like that as soon as I saw him just go off that back heel I'm like yeah this is going straight to the net like no off kiltered shot especially in a smash scenario like that ever ends up going well it, it just doesn't you know when you hit a smash you want to make sure that you have both feet planted on the ground and that you're not hitting it off balance or that you're not hitting in a way that can be a detriment to your own progression in a match and i felt like in a lot of ways that sort of halted him from being able to finish the match quicker than normal i don't i won't say that's the main reason but points like that allowed medvedev to make it even more competitive than it even had to be uh so yeah overall off balance match not that great medvedev ground stroke dead in the net to make a four all Great forehand down the line, passing shot by center to make it 15-30. Again, both of these players had some great, impressive passing shots. But I felt as if center had the more impressive passing shots because of Medvedev's insistence to get to the net. I, I think for Medvedev, the best part of Medvedev is that he's able to be a counterpuncher. 
and is able to to win points at the baseline. And I, I felt as if if Medvedev just stayed at the baseline longer than he wanted to, I think that this would have been a different match for him. But I think his insistence to get to the net at crucial times in this match allowed Center to be more confident in his shots and allowed Center to be more carefree, if you will, in terms of having his shots be all around the court and not just strictly confined to what Medvedev wanted him to hit. So I think that's what allowed Sinner to really have a little bit more pep in his step with his shot selection. Um, so yeah, anyways, let's... Returns are by Sinner's in the net as Medvedev leads to make a 5-4 changeover. Sinner puts it away in the net to hold on love to make a 5-all. Uh, great backhand down line to make it 6-5, changeover Medvedev. Great forehand cross-court clean winner by Sinner to make it 6-all tiebreakers. And then we go to tiebreakers. So great rally, but drop shot by Sinner allows him to take the point to make a 1-love. Uh, backhand by Medvedev dead in the net as Sinner goes up to make a 2-love. Returns to a passing shot by Medvedev goes wide to make a 3-love. And once you're up 3-love, you're like, okay... Now I got a little bit more confidence under my under my under my under myself. You know, I'm able to be more confident and more vocal about my shots. And I think with Sinner, the confidence of his was just astronomical. And you really saw that in the latter half of that tiebreaker as well. In the latter half of this tiebreaker, uh, Sinner forehand cross court goes wide as it makes a three one. Medvedev gets it on the board. Forehand cross court by Sinner makes uh, goes wide as Medvedev makes a two three. Ground strike by Medvedev and, and Rally goes long as Sinner leads to make a 4-2 changeover. Because after every 6-1, they have to change ends. Return serve by Medvedev goes wide to make a 5-2. Sinner cross-court clean winner passing shot makes it 6-2. Just an amazing clean winner passing shot by Sinner. Just, just in line with what we come to expect for Sinner. Um, Medvedev goes straight to the baseline to get ready for serve. But Sinner was able to hit a return serve that was able to be a clean winner. And because of that, Sinner wins that set to make it 7-2. And he wins the Beijing Open Final, the China Open Final, 7-6, 7-6, 7-2, 7-2 in both sets. This was a really, really good match for Sinner. Does this matter in the grand scheme of things? Not really. I mean, let's be honest about this here. I mean... This is in the latter half of the season. This is a tournament that's, that has happened after all four Grand Slams have ended. Obviously, the mentality and focus of these players is not the same as it would be in any other tournament. Um, I'm not knocking center. Obviously, congrats to center for winning the China Open. But in terms of the grand scheme of things, this doesn't matter, right? What matters is being able to win bigger tournaments, AT1000 tournaments, and even Grand Slams. And I think for Sinner, for me, my expectation on Sinner is so much that for me, and it's part of the reason as to why he's such a great tennis player, is that right now, I think even Sinner will admit that in the grand scheme of things, this tournament win doesn't really matter. What matters is winning the Grand Slam level. And if this allows him to build on his confidence to be able to ensure a victory at a Grand Slam, then I think that makes all the difference in the world. So in the grand scheme of things, this tournament doesn't really matter. But when it comes to his mentality for a Grand Slam, especially when it comes to hardcore Grand Slams, right? Because that's where Medvedev really does his best in. I think that this helps out Sinner tremendously. And it allows Sinner to be more confident where now where he when he faces Medvedev at a hardcore Grand Slam, now he's able to really take it in stride and take what he's learned from this match and implement it within those matches as well. So I think in, in the grand scheme of things, this really doesn't matter. But if this allows Sinner to build on said confidence and allows him to find the flaws within Medvedev's game, then all the power to him. And I think that's what ultimately matters to Sinner. So yeah, overall, it doesn't really matter. But congrats to Sinner on the win. And I'm excited to see what's next for Sinner. I think he is in the top eight as of now. I'm pretty sure Sinner is in the top eight. So if that is the case, then he's probably going to go to Turin and play in the ATP finals. And 
that will serve as a good indication as to whether or not he belongs within that discussion of Alcaraz, Medvedev, Djokovic, and other players that are also within that top eight as well. So overall, great win for Sinner. I wish he was able to break serve, though. I, that's that's the one area which, where I wish he was able to do. But you can't have it all. You know, you can't have it all. Uh, let's get into news outside of tennis. So if you guys don't know, Kevin McCarthy, Speaker of the House, has been outed as House Speaker. This happened due to a vote that happened yesterday during the House floor in which eight Republicans sided with 208 Democrats um, to vote yes on ousting Kevin McCarthy. Uh, he is one of the shortest tenured House Speakers, um, shortest since Michael C. Kirk back in December of 1875 to August 1876, in which he died due to tuberculosis. That's the main reason as to why he was no longer House Speaker. Uh, thank you to Sagar and Jetty for pointing that out. Uh, otherwise, I would not have known that. Uh, but Overall, he's out as House Speaker. Matt Gates actually gave a really good speech on this uh, on the House floor. He actually had to spe uh, speak on this at the Democratic podium instead of the Republican podium because they wouldn't allow him to speak there, uh, which I thought that was an interesting tidbit. But he said that he would rather focus his campaign on small dollar donations as opposed to lobbyist and corporate PAC money. And... This is in regards to him voting no on Kevin McCarthy because he felt as if his opinions and his policies were not in line with the Freedom Caucus and with the MAGA crew, essentially. And Matt Gates is a part of the Freedom Caucus. He believes in certain things that the Freedom Caucus also believes in, which is sort of quasi-populist beliefs and, and sentiments that are quite known for, you know, the... The Republicans in office, I would say, uh, the Freedom Caucus Republicans in office. But he did say that he would much rather have his campaign focus on small-time donations as opposed to corporate PAC money and lobbyists. And he sort of pointed out in the room of those who did accept lobbyists and corporate PAC money, which is kind of interesting, I would I will say, because Matt Gates is married to the sister of Palmer Lucky, who is in charge of like a pretty well-known def defense firm. And if anything... Having war and constant war actually does benefit Palmer Lucky. So that does put him at odds. I, I will say that, you know, where it's weird to see certain individuals sort of say, we're against lobbyists and corporate PAC money, and we're against, you know, sitting members of office of Congress, you know, buy stocks and, and all of that. It's like I often hear like Ro Khanna say that, oh, I'm against, you know, sitting members of Congress buying stocks, but like he had no issue with his wife buying hundreds, if not thousands of, of dollars of biotech and pharma stock, which eventually helped out his own family when he voted yes on several pieces of legislation that ended up benefiting said companies, right? So go cry me a river when it comes to, you know, these politicians being like, we're against, you know, sitting members of Congress buying stock within companies. It's like, you're also benefiting from that, so stop it, right? But if anything, when you see Kevin McCarthy being ousted as House Speaker, I mean, I have no really, I have no real opinion on this because there's nothing notable about Kevin McCarthy to begin with. There really isn't. The only thing memorable about him was when I forget who, but there was like a article that was like new, the new bucks in town or the new young crew in town, and this was like in the back in the, like the early 2010s when like magazines and news spreads were newspaper spreads were big. But it was like a picture of Kevin McCarthy and Paul Ryan and like one other Republican, you know, you know, some some Republican establishment, Republican candidate or politician out, out there. And it was like the new bucks in town or the new crew in town, how these young, you know, Republicans are taking Washington by storm. And it's funny to see how in 10 years, like all of them are no longer in public office anymore. It's very, very interesting to see that. Uh, but overall, what this really goes to show you is that the Republicans are in danger. They're in danger. I, I think this is not a good look for the Republicans. I think that this really does affect them come the 2024 presidential election, because I do think that the House will go back to the Democrats. You know, the general election, the presidential election, who knows who will win uh, between Biden and Trump? I think 
for me personally, I, I think if I had to predict, it would probably be Biden because I do think that for the average voter, there's a lot of turnoffs when it comes to Trump. And I think even though Trump's base is louder, it's still a more smaller majority. It's still a more it's still a minority in a lot of ways. Where even though there are a lot of individuals that are very gung ho for Trump, I still think that it's still a minority in comparison to the amount of people that sort of view Trump for who he is, which is the snake oil salesman, this grifter who took advantage of his own constituents, his own followers for the betterment of his own campaign, for the betterment of his own image, for the betterment of his own gain. And I think when you look at Trump, and when I personally look at Trump, I look at a con artist, a guy who swindled hardworking Americans out of their own money. And I think for the average person now, they sort of view him in the same vein as well. Um, but yeah, anyways, when it comes to Kevin McCarthy being ousted as House Speaker, I, I don't think that's a, this is a good look because criticize the, the Democrats all you want, right? And there's a lot to criticize the Democrats. But the one thing is, is that they are united. You know, they have a, a figure that they really look into and look up to. You know, I mean, obviously it did sting me when I saw Bernie endorsing Biden. Like that does, that that is bad, right? I mean, when you see an individual that wants to shake things up within, within Washington endorse an individual who has been very much in line with the establishment opinion, that is an issue, right? When you see, you know, AOC and the squad, you know, vote in Nancy Pelosi to be as House Speaker and not listen to hashtag force the vote, obviously that is an issue. But at least they're in line with their leader. And while we could be critical of them, at least they have something to be in line with. With the Republicans is that it's just that they're so splintered where now there's just several factions with the Republican Party, where now it's so difficult for even Republicans to get along with one another, where there's no real central theme or message that they can all get behind. Even something like abortion is something that is now being discussed, where even if a person is against abortion after five weeks, that's still not enough. Now you got to be against abortion after conception. And now there's even like bases where they're just, where they just differ on several different issues whether it's on abortion or funding you for ukraine and regardless of how you may feel about it the fact that there's no central idea for all of these republicans to get involved or invested in i do think that this will affect the party for future elections i mean i do think abortion will affect the party for future elections in general because again that that it's just such an unpopular opinion i mean I get, I get it, evangelicals like pro-life movements and pro-life causes, and they will support the pro-life movement till the day they die. But again, it's unpopular for the majority of other people. It just is. I'm just sorry. Abortion is not a winning issue for Republicans. It just isn't. It just isn't. It's It's been shown through the votes. It's been shown through the average person that lives a life, I guess, you know, it's just shown that for a lot of people that abortion is not this winning issue that a lot of Republicans think it is. It's just not. It's just not. So when you see all these differences amongst Republicans, whether it's on abortion or funding for Ukraine or the way that certain businesses are able to govern themselves and, and you know, do business by themselves and, you know, even say social issues, right? You know, when you see all these different issues being played and when you see all of these differences being shown in real time you know i do think that this will affect republicans because this is not good for anybody especially for republicans that want to see their own be in office so overall when it comes to kevin mccarthy i mean he he leaves out a interesting legacy because there's no legacy to really speak of him. You know, there just not, there just isn't. It was either him stepping down or there being a government shutdown. And I guess he did the right thing in terms of, you know, stepping down because if there was a government shutdown, a lot of people would not get their checks. I mean, there's a lot of government employees that would not be get, getting their paycheck. I have a friend of mine who uh, is in the Air Force right now. And 
I'm sure that if there was a government shutdown, it would affect him in terms of having more of a pay, in terms of, you know, being able to send checks to his family members, to his loved ones, or to be able to help himself, you know? So I will say that he did the right thing in stepping down, but at the same time, this can go on for days, for weeks, even months. Like finding a new speaker, especially in this climate for the Republicans, it will not be an easy issue to fix or to address. It will not be an easy solve for them. It just won't. Uh, I just don't think that they have it in them to really unify and to galvanize their own base around one central figure. I just don't think that that's the case anymore. I just think that they're just so divided. And while I admit I do have some respect for Matt Gates for at least saying no, I mean, at least he has more balls than, say, AOC and Ilan Omar and all these other goobers that are a part of the squad. I mean, say what you will about Matt Gates, but at least he has some form of balls to say no to the House Speaker. Like, that takes balls. And you can see, like, Ilan Omar was like, I don't know if you if you saw this uh, clip or not. Maybe it was doctored. I don't know. Maybe this was like a few years ago. I don't know. I don't know about the validity to this photo. I don't know. But she was like licking her lips as Matt Gaze was speaking, which I'm like, you can tell that there's some respect there when it comes to Matt Gates. Obviously, say what you will about his personal life and about the allegations that were levied against him two years ago. But the fact that he said no to Kevin McCarthy, as well as seven other Republicans in office, Nancy Mace included, that shows you that at least they're willing to stand up for their beliefs, you know. And that's something that we haven't really seen from the squad. You know, so while I can be critical of the Republicans and why I can be critical that there is no sort of central idea or message that they all can sort of rally behind. And while I do think that this does affect Republicans, I think that this was a win for those that voted no on McCarthy, because now it just allows them to grow their own portfolio, to grow their own social profile and say, hey, I voted no on McCarthy. You know, I was the one who stood up for my own beliefs. And even if this next guy isn't as good, or even if this next guy is bad, at least he wasn't as bad as, say, McCarthy. So for those seven or eight Republicans, I think that in terms of building off of this, this is their moment, and they're capitalizing off off of their moment. And I think because of that, they are safe after this as well. They are safe after this. So... For them, I think this is, this is great news. Honestly, I think this is great news. Um, but I do think that for Republicans in general, for the average establishment Republican, I do think that this will affect them. Because if you're not able to get around a central theme or a message or have any sort of policies or principles that you stand behind, when you're just as flimsy as the Republicans that were on that debate stage last Wednesday were, then what's the incentive for them to vote for you? What's the incentive for the average working-class American to vote for you if you don't have policies that you stand by and that you stick with. And I think that's what the Republican Republicans in office are really going through right now, is that they do not know who they truly are. And I, same with the Democrats. I would say the Democrats are in the same boat as well, but I think it is even more apparent within the Republican Party right now. Um, and again, I'm saying this as an independent. I'm not a part of the Democrats. I'm not a part of the Republicans. I Chances are will not vote next year for the 2024 presidential election. I will not vote. I'm sorry, I just won't vote. But to say that this is in any way, shape, or form a benefit for the Republicans, it just isn't because now they will even have more issues in finding their next speaker. And when that does happen, a lot of people will look at this party and be like, oh my God, this party is dysfunctional. They can't even rally behind one leader. The one leader that a few people want to pick, which is Donald Trump, doesn't even want to vote run for Speaker of the House anyways. He's looking at the mantelpiece. He's looking at the White House. He's not looking at the Senate floor and, you know, setting aside differences between two bickering members of the same party. No, no, no. He's looking at the White House. He wants to get back into his former residence. That's what he wants to do. So... I do think that this will affect the Republicans in a lot of ways. And one of them in being that if the average working class voter sees that the Republicans can't rally behind one leader, then why vote for them at all, right? Like if if they can't even like support one person, 
then why vote for them at all? You know, because again, this will happen in the 2024 presidential election as well, where you will have Trump win and then you'll see a lot of Republicans view him like the plague and say, I, I can't support him. And, and obviously a lot of their reasons are quite valid and I understand that. But this is going to happen as well in 2024. So if that does happen, then why why would people want to vote for that party, right? I mean, that's just the case. I mean, say what you want about the Democrats, but at least they have one figure. Even back in 2020, when every establishment neoliberal Democrat supported Biden and the one quasi-populist figure, Elizabeth Warren, stayed in the race to siphon votes away from Bernie Sanders, at least they had one figure. You know, criticize the Democrats all you want, but at least they have one figure. I criticized the Democrats on a routine on a routine basis. I just did when it came to the squad, right? But at least they have one figure that they can really identify with and go along with. So overall, those are my thoughts on Kevin McCarthy being out as speaker. And uh, yeah, I think that's it for that topic. Let's get into our last topic for today before we end today's podcast and I can swing you by for the weekend and 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 throw you off to, into the weekend and, and into the weekend subs and sunset. Uh, if you guys don't know, RFK Jr. plans to run as an independent. There are rumors that he has decided to no longer run as a Democrat and run as an independent. He is scheduled to make a big announcement next week, sometime next week, I think October 9th. But uh, it seems like, like the cat's out of the bag and he plans to run as an independent. So RFK Super PAC preps, him, preps for him to run as an independent. Uh, a lot of people ask, hey, OJ, uh, why are you supporting a candidate that has a super PAC? Um, I no longer support RFK Jr. I am no longer supporting anybody in this race. There are policies that I do like of RFK Jr., uh, particularly his stance on Ukraine and his stance on COVID. Uh, there are issues of his that I do support. Uh, but in terms of supporting a candidate, I'm supporting no candidate for the 2024 election. I think they are all uh, have their own issues. Um, I, I don't think that any of them are really that fit to run. Um, uh, there are things that I do like about like about Marianne. There are things that I do like about RFK Jr. But that's about it. Uh, I, I don't really like any of the uh, any of the, of the other candidates. If Rand Paul was running for 2024, I may like him as well um but unfortunately he's not running for 2024 i feel like he's the only republican in in office right now that i would actually think about voting for but besides that not none to be honest with you um but anyways uh i'm no longer supporting any candidate i'm no longer endorsing any candidate i don't like i i don't really have that much of a love or an affinity for any of the candidates that are running so that there's that I'm not supporting any candidate. I just don't want to. I will enjoy this election from the outside looking in. I will not partake in it. I will not vote in the primary. I will not vote in the general election. None. 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 Uh, a super PAC supporting RFK Jr. has begun polling his support as an independent. One of the strongest indications to date that the long-shot Democrat is set to announce party affiliation switch. Um, the article continues by saying the following. Um... But what the PAC found in its survey may be as notable as the tea leaves around a switch itself. Uh, Kennedy, as an independent, would pull more support will pull more support away from Republican Donald Trump than Democrat Joe Biden, according to the findings, which is quite true. I actually had a friend of mine go to an RFK Jr. rally in New Hampshire, which if you want to see political mayhem or chaos, just go to New Hampshire, bro. Like, if you want to see individuals who are just so politically aware that they, that they just become like, that they just develop worms for brains, like go to New Hampshire. Like that's like where you, sh you should go. Uh, anyways, all told, the poll shows that in general election between Trump, Biden, and a generic independent candidate, the result is Trump at 40%, Biden at 38%, and the independent candidate at 17%. And a matchup between Trump, Biden, and RFK Jr., as the independent candidate, the result is Trump and Biden tied at 38% with Kennedy at 19%. The survey did not include Green Party candidate Cornell West. If that happens, where if RFK Jr. runs in the general election and his name is on the ballot, which may be very difficult because after what happened with... What's his face? 
the guy who took away votes from Bush uh, Senior in 92. What's the guy's name? Ross Perot. Ross Perot. After what happened to Ross Perot, I don't think that that will happen anymore, where you have a candidate take away votes from another candidate. So I think because of what happened with the 92 election between Ross Perot, Bush, and Clinton, I think in a lot of ways that that likelihood is no longer there. And I would love to see RFK Jr. on the general election ballot. I hope he is there on the general election ballot because that will take votes away from Trump, Donald Trump. It just will. I mean, as I mentioned before, there were, a friend of mine went to an RFK Jr. rally, and he was surprised to see the amount of MAGA hats that were there. Like, he was surprised to see the amount of Trump supporters that were there. And part of it's because of the issues that RFK Jr. is really focused on and really trying to ingratiate himself with in terms of having a similarity with that fan base. And in a lot of ways, I think it's great for RFK Jr. to pull this off. I, I really do think so. So if that's the case, the Democrats need to love RFK Jr. As if they already don't already. I feel like the Democrats do like Kennedy, but they just don't want to admit it. And they still view him as a threat to Biden. But once this does happen in terms of siphoning votes away from Donald Trump, oh my God, he will be viewed as royalty by the Democrats. He'll be like, this is our guy. This is the guy, you know, this is the person that allowed this geriatric Delaware citizen known as Biden to continue his stranglehold over the White House. Um, but anyways, let's let's get back into the discussion. Uh, such numbers are far more bullish on Kennedy's prospects than independent polls. The authors, however, argue that they effectively undermine Democratic gripes that Kennedy would play the role of a spoiler by helping Trump win. Um the opposite is true. Kennedy is taking more votes than Trump, more votes from Trump than from Biden, reads a press release announcing the poll numbers, which was shared exclusively with political. Kennedy is not yet a third party candidate, but he has teased a big announcement on October 9th in Philadelphia, and Mediaite has reported that he is planning an independent bid. A report his campaign has not yet confirmed. To date, he has run as a Democrat, garnering a polling average of about 14% in the primary race against Biden and progressive author Marianne Williamson, according to Real Clear Politics. Um, again, I don't blame RFK Jr. for running as an independent. I mean, the DNC is corrupt as hell. We've known this for quite some time now. We saw the emails that were leaked from between Debbie Wasserman Schultz and Hillary Clinton and that of, say, John Podesta. We've known for quite some time now that they are rigged, that the superdelegates that are within the Democratic primaries are rigged in and of itself. I mean, look at what happened to Bernie Sanders back in 2016, right, where you had all of these emails and all of these leaks that were essentially confirming the obvious that the Democrats were out to get Bernie, that they wanted Hillary Clinton as their candidate for the, gener for the general election, and they got their wish. And even in 2020, even though that even though the DNC didn't really rig it as much as, say, 2016, 2020, they essentially allowed all of the candidates, whether it was Pete Buttigieg, whether it was um the senator from minnesota whether it was I, i'm blanking on her name and i don't care to remember her name um whether it was kamala harris whether it was beto o'rourke all these goobers that basically just said the same old same old and then regurgitated the same talking points that their handlers gave them all of them endorsed biden besides one quasi-populist senator from massachusetts named elizabeth warren our favorite Native American, who decided to stay in the race and t took away votes from Bernie Sanders. So again, we've known for quite some time now the DNC is rigged. We've known quite some time now that um, the DNC does not like to play the rules that they're giving to them. At least with the RNC, at least they're willing to give other candidates a shot. You know, I mean, even though they tried to do their best to get Trump away from the polls in 2016, his... His fan base and following was just so much that they, they, that, they, that, they, that they just couldn't ignore it. I was stumbling over my words when I said that. Uh, but they just couldn't ignore it. So, I don't know. I, I think RFK Jr. is doing this well. I think his idea to no longer run as a, as a Democrat is the right idea to go for. 
And when I see a bunch of people that are going after RFK Jr. for doing this, it's like, dude, cut him some slack, all right? This is the same guy whose father was killed by the CIA, okay? When I see people like that are saying, oh, why is RFK Jr., you know, being so hard on the CIA? When I see all these, like, individuals that are on TV because of Operation Mockingbird criticize RFK Jr. for being critical of the CIA, I'm like, you do realize that part of the reason why you have a job is because of the CIA. You do realize the part of the reason as to why his father was shot and killed was because of the CIA. It wasn't Sirhan Sirhan, it was the CIA, okay? I don't know. I mean, if I was RFK Jr., I too would be mad at the media, and I too would be mad at the CIA and at the mainstream media for what they've done to him and his family. I would too, you know? And even calling him an anti-vaxxer, even though he's had some pretty, pretty skeptical questions about the vaccine you know i mean again just one of those things where you just look at it and think to yourself i i can understand why he would be bullish on the media i would i i too would understand why he would have his reservations with the media you know so again you're making me want to vote for rfk jr <laughs> like the more i talk about it the more i'm like maybe i should vote for rfk jr no i'm still not voting for anybody like i just don't feel involved i don't feel as if any of these i, I don't feel as if modern day politics really speak to me anymore. I, I feel more isolated than ever before when it comes to really talking about politics. I feel as if the more I do my research on these candidates, the more curious I am about these candidates, the more dirt I find on them. And because of that, I just can't support them. I, it, it's just the more research you do on these candidates or just on politicians in general the more you realize should i even vote for them like should i even endorse them if i endorse them does that mean i'm endorsing everything that they stand for as well and does that mean that i'm endorsing their own i, I don't know it's, it's just it's just for me it's best for me to stay apolitical and for me to just stick with what i know best and, and what i do best which i don't do the best in anything but in terms of me not really partaking in the political process i think that's the best way for me to go about i, I just do like i don't really want to vote for anybody i just don't um that's not to say that there are th that certain candidates aren't better than others because i do think rfk jr is a better candidate than say joe biden i do think he's a better candidate than say vivek ramaswamy i think he's a better candidate than say um Nikki Haley, better candidate than Doug Burzum, better candidate than uh, Trump, than DeSantis. I, I think he's a, he's the best candidate right now. I think him and Marianne Williamson are neck and neck. I don't know who I would much rather vote for because I'm not voting for any either of them. But I do think that in terms of building a following, in terms of being honest and adamant about their beliefs and their opinions, I think that those two individuals are very genuine with their beliefs. And if you're going to vote for somebody based off how genuine their beliefs are, then definitely vote for either RFK Jr. or Marianne Williamson. You know, again, I, I, I do you, right? Vote for whoever you want to vote for. But in terms of my opinion, in terms of who I view to be the most genuine, I find Marianne Williamson and RFK Jr. to be the most genuine people running for president right now. So, yeah. Um, but overall, you know, I mean, all the power to RFK Jr. Obviously, you know, politics is not a surefire thing. It's obviously a difficult thing to get involved in. Um, you know, I do think that for a lot of individuals, he can be a turnoff. But for me, I think he speaks for my generation great. You know, I mean, I saw him on Tiger Belly, and when I saw him talk to Bobby Lee and try and have a conversation with Bobby Lee, I don't think I've laughed harder than that conversation. I mean, there were things that Bobby Lee was bringing up, like, early in the podcast that RBK Jr. was like, I, I decided to join this podcast? For what reason? For what reason? <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, overall, that podcast was great. I think he gave a tweet um, to Tim Dillon, where Tim Dillon had, like, a picture with, like, one of the, like the Red Scare girls in like some event or some convention or whatnot about like women, some some stuff about women. I think the conversation or the convention was about like how women should do something and whatnot. I don't know the specifics of the conversation, but they had like a conversation and um, 
they had like Barry Weiss on and Grimes and all these other individuals. And Tim Dillon actually took a picture with like a few of the Red Scare girls. And I think RFK Jr., I think he tweeted this out or probably his like intern tweeted this out where he's like, it's great to see that all of those gay conversion therapy camps are working out for you. <laughs> Which I don't know if that's true. I don't know if he himself tw tweeted that out. I'm pretty sure he deleted that tweet. But if he tweeted that out, I might vote for him, honestly. Like that's... Oh, that's like expert comedic timing on his part. So, and that's just expert level comedy in and of itself. So, RFK Jr. is hilarious. I, I don't know. I don't know if he tweeted that, that out. I don't know if his handlers tweeted that out. I don't know if his interns tweeted that out. I do not know who tweeted that out. He quickly deleted that and scrubbed it off of his TL. But man, oh man, was that great. I thoroughly love that tweet. I think I, I think I still have that tweet in my, in my drafts. Uh, anyways. Um, and by the way, I do love Tim Dillon as well. Like Tim Dillon's hilarious. I, I just found that response to be comical. Um, but anyways, uh, overall RFK Jr. running as an independent. I think that's great. Uh, I saw a, another video. I love RFK Jr. because he's just like, he's hilarious, but in a way where I don't know if he himself knows that he himself is hilarious, right? Where there was a video of him, uh, for some reason he was like off a cliff like on a cliff like on like the tip of a cliff and there was just like water like like a like a body of water behind him and he was like shirtless and he planned to like do like a backflip into the ball into the water but the way that he contorts his body it wasn't really like a backflip per se it was just like him somewhat looking down while doing a backflip and the way that he contorts his body is just so crazy to me. It's hilarious. You should definitely go watch that video. But man, oh man, RFK Jr. is hilarious. I, I truly dig this guy. Uh, obviously, I'm still not voting for anybody. But I, I think that if you're going to vote for a person who's unintentionally hilarious or intentionally hilarious, depending on how you may view it, Definitely go vote for RFK Jr. If, if, if you're just voting off of hilarity alone, vote for RFK Jr. I don't think Trump is bringing it as much as he once did. I just don't. I mean, some of the jokes that he has, you know, I mean, Sanctimonious Ron, it, it doesn't roll off the tongue as it once did. Or Ron to Sanctimonious doesn't really roll off the tongue as, it as you know, say, um, other, you know, you know uh, nicknames that he's given to politicians. I mean, Pocahontas great great nickname but i really do think that rfk jr is an unintentionally hilarious guy i really do think so i think he is he is that comedian you know he is um anyways i think that's it for the podcast for today uh that's it for the podcast guys thank you so much for watching thank you so much for listening make sure you guys like subscribe and click the bell icon for notifications down below make sure you follow me on my instagram twitter and tiktok uh, make sure you leave a five-star review on spotify and apple podcast um and if you can make sure you spread it through your word of mouth and through your whatsapp chains and group threads to get more and more people involved and invested in this, in this podcast it's always a great sight to see uh i don't know what i'll talk about in this podcast i really don't know probably talk about the shanghai rolex masters and probably talk about other things as well uh but for now guys thanks so much for watching thanks so much for listening um enjoy your weekend spend time with your family and friends and i'll see you guys on Tuesday. Uh, all right, guys. Peace. See you.